Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4046 of the Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. I have some words, you have some ears. There is now nothing to stop this thing happening. This is for the week beginning Monday, the 16th of October, 2017, although we are recording on Wednesday, the 11th of October, so by Monday, up to 85% of today's show could have transmuted from lie to fact, and or vice versa. I'm Andy Zaltzman, and what I say goes... Nowhere. <laughs> and I'm here in London, the city where, as we speak, Britain is collectively gearing itself up for a long, slow run-up and jump over the Brexit brick wall of democratic obligation into the shattered, bottle and half-eaten, kebab-filled wheelie bin of freedom. Great time to be alive. Joining me this week, two people from very, very different sides of the Atlantic and with equally different degrees of blood relation to me. <laughs> Firstly... From the world-eating Zaltzman gene pool, it's the fount of all wisdom, Helen Zaltzman. Hi, Andy. Hello, Helen. Hello, Buglers. Um, you've got a cough. I do have a cough. Maybe yeah. I'll treat you to a bit of that later. Right, I'll look forward to that. Yeah, yeah. you know everyone enjoys hearing someone cough in a guttural way. <laughs> what could be finer? Um, well, in fact, uh, one of the last Bugles I recorded with John Oliver before the, uh, the hiatus, he had a horrific cough. Do you remember that? I don't think we ever put it out in the end. Yeah, we got ten minutes in and binned it off. Yeah, somewhere. Wow. Somewhere. Yeah. That was his way of telling you that it was over. <laughs> Are you calling it a hiatus or a coup or a rebirth? We'll a rebirth. Us, we will let history be the judge of that. <laughs> uh, I think a renaissance. Yeah, oh, I we, like that. That, that was right. the renaissance, right? And then, or this is the renaissance. That was the renaissance. This is just a cough. Right. Well, we don't know yet. We don't know if this cough is spelling the end of Bugle 2.0. That does sound like a title of a really obscure country and western song. That was the Renaissance. <laughs> anyway, you've already heard him. The uh, the man who was there at the very the the birth of the Renaissance, yeah. the nascence of the Renaissance, the yeah. first episode, almost exactly one year ago. Um, it's uh, taking a well earned break from being on the same continent as his president here in <laughs> Europe, uh, escaping temporarily. It's Hari Kondabolu. Is this still Europe? Uh, oh, well, it is yeah. for at least another two years, I oh, think. Oh, right, nice yeah. to be in Europe. And then we'll have our own continent. <laughs> like they're, digging a, they're digging some kind of great continental crack across the channel. There was a very brief period of time where I thought this country was so stupid and uh, was so beneath the United States, and then the election happened, and we, we were worse. Congratulations. But there was a small period, though, with Brexit, that small little window <laughs> that know. felt good. Mm. Mm. We topped you once again. So, uh, so welcome, uh, welcome, Hari. Um, uh, this recording was uh, delayed by uh, well, about forty minutes, due to a slight issue with there being two Brunswick places in London. Yes, there's two Brunswick places, and apparently N1 and NW1 different. <laughs> right. Do you think that W means nothing? Why would we? Why would we not edit it out if it meant nothing? Oh, that's strange. They use W as a placeholder in this country. <laughs> so, uh, so Buglis, if you have not enjoyed the first forty-five minutes of this show, uh, which were just silence as we waited for <laughs> with a bit of coughing actually maybe Chris maybe edit that bit out um, but anyway it's great great to have you uh, great to have you here uh, and uh, what's, uh, what, what, what brings you to uh, to London well uh, I was opening for Chris Rock in Europe oh right yes uh, for uh, for eight shows uh, audiences up to uh, uh, 10, 10,000, 15,000. Right. So a bit smaller than you, than the regular Hari Kondabolu solo gigs. Well, it's funny you say that because uh, now I'm playing uh, Basement in Soho <laughs> for 150 people. And I'm, I'm happy for the work and I'm happy for their money or whatever percentage I get. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little strange after playing like 10,000 in Amsterdam to it's, play. It's changed you. I, I'm, I expect more. 
more people just more people, more people. Just yeah. wherever you, go. <laughs> you thought this studio would have a couple of thousand people in I'm it I'm like where this is, this is I thought there was always an audience here who somehow kept very quiet throughout the whole show maybe that's why you assumed you were going to the far more glamorous <laughs> in NW it was pretty glamorous so we are recording on uh, Wednesday the 11th of October uh, which means it is 50 years to the day since the 11th of October 1967 a day which sadly brought the death of Stanley Morrison at the age of 78 uh, the famous British typographer who designed numerous fonts, including the classic Times New Roman? Ugh. One of the, uh, but one of the most. What you're not not a fan of uh, uh. the Times New Roman, but um, he was also involved in uh, other classics such as Gill Sands. Oh, I can get behind that. Yep. Um, is that nothing to do with Eric Gill? It is. He designed it. Well, that's a problem, isn't it? Yeah, that is a problem given the, the frankly horrific things he did in his Eric, life. Eric Gill, the. Uh... Fonts. Um, the um, uh, Perpetua, uh, as well as uh, Snout Trap, Omega Floppy, Glooper Duck Scrawl, uh, Potato Visigothic, Nudie Nora Wobble Scripts, Spitz and Klaus Strouten, Very Bold, Zingle Dingle, Zongle Dongle and Vlark, uh, all fonts that Morrison personally or uh, uh, personally designed or oversaw the design of, such as, uh, such as Gil Sands. And to commemorate him popping his elegantly served clogs, we are launching three new Bugle-only audio fonts. And we'll each be using a different font in our words on this show. Helen, you'll be using Bugle Semi Bold. Uh, could we have an example of that, please? Does it have uh, serifs or no serifs? Uh, no, uh, no, no serifs. Great, I'm happy with that. Okay, well, you just heard it. Harry will be using Satyricept Pointic. Let's have a quick blast of that. <laughs> so that's an italicised yeah, one. That's, uh, that is really a font just to use for occasional impact. Um, <laughs> and I'll be using Hogwash Condensed. Uh, another anniversary on the 16th of October, uh, 1957, Antonio Villas Boas, a Brazilian farmer, became the first man uh, to have claimed to have been abducted by aliens. The first high-profile alien abduction case. Uh, he claimed he'd been abducted from his tractor by four barking aliens in grey overalls before being stripped, smeared all over with gel, uh, made to vomit by a noxious gas, and then sexually enthraggled by a lady alien with a bright red jimble gratch before being released and becoming a lawyer. Stacked <laughs> <laughs> so um, up. It's a regular night out in Tunbridge Wells when we were growing up, then, wasn't it? I mean, people aren't given that option for their law degrees anymore. <laughs> So like you have to go to school as opposed to all that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if the, becoming a lawyer was, was you know, part of the abduction story, but oh. you know, it's part of his life story. But so. then when you become a lawyer, you are often hazed, covered in yeah. gel. And, uh, but I mean, I guess out. if you've been abducted and seduced by aliens, you probably get back to Earth and think, well, I'm going to devote myself to the law. Well, it's the obvious thing to do, isn't it? I wonder if um, the aliens used to wear overalls because the only American television they'd seen was uh, the Beverly Hillbillies. The old uh, U.S. Uh, show about uh, hillbillies that moved to Beverly Hills, they wore overalls. Right. So perhaps they thought, okay, let's disguise ourselves as people by wearing these these overalls and no one would know. And do we have any evidence that the Beverly Hillbillies was transmitted into outer space? Do we have any evidence that there were aliens and they exist in outer space? Well, this, this, this debate could go on for years. <laughs> uh, where was he abducted from? Uh, Brazil. Brazil? Yeah. Just a very big a country. Farm I was just Brazil. wondering whether there was a specific... What, a specific farm? Well, I was just wondering whether there was a region. Right, but, for the uh, farmy bit, where they grow the farm stuff. I just wondering if there's been any repeat claims of alien Repeat business, I don't know. What, what year was it again, 57? 57. Are you sure he wasn't a Nazi? Um, what, he I don't been... think so. I think he was quite a young farmer at the time. Are you sure it wasn't like a Nazi fleeing and he's trying to like override the, oh, that's a Nazi story with the, no, I was. he's the abducted by aliens guy. Right. <laughs> that totally we makes you forget about the Nazi business. We can't, we can't rule it out. Yeah. Um, 17th of October next Tuesday will be 30 years to the day since I was bar mitzvahed 
I remember that. Yep. Congratulations. That's the penultimate time I ever went to a synagogue. Without <laughs> um, the loop. Uh, but if you do were, you, do, oh, you, do you have to get it updated every thirty years? Um, not the bar mitzvah bit. Um, the circumcision bit I do. Uh, just, um, anyway, um, but if you were one of those people unfortunate enough not to have been at my bar mitzvah and given me a present, why not make up for it now by uh, acknowledging my status as an adult male in the Jewish community by buying a ticket to one of my forthcoming US tours. Beginning this Sunday at Cobbs in San Francisco, then Tuesday at the House of Comedy in Phoenix, Arizona, Thursday and Friday at Nerd Melton, LA, and Saturday at the Aladdin in Portland, Oregon. Uh, then we have Toronto the following week, Chicago, Boston, Philadelphia, Nashville, and Washington, DC. All details on the internet. Bar mitzvah was like your first gig, wasn't it? Pretty good crowd. Uh, pretty weird, good crowd. Weird to split them by gender, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's odd that you're still doing that with your gigs. Well, rules are rules, Helen. Rules are rules. Um, um, yes. Uh, it was a... Yeah, it was quite weird. I, was, um, I had to read a bit of Isaiah, chapter 42. Is that one of the ones with all the puns in it? Uh, I can't remember the puns because I never knew what it meant. I just knew how to say the Hebrew bits. But I don't think I'd ever actually read the translation. I think uh, what it says is that you hereby declare you will donate all of your organs to an illegal organ farm. All oh, right. Uh, effective immediately. Uh, as always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, a look at cryptocurrencies. Um, we look at all the top cryptocurrencies, uh, from Bitcoin and Ethereum and Zcash to pseudo-wedge, clinky wadgers, Percy the Magic Purse and Bullies Bullshit Bullions. That's a new bogus currency launched by the former Wolverhampton Wanderers and England centre-forward Steve Ball. Oh, God. Uh, we have uh, <laughs> also, we, we review pigs and axes. That's just a return to basic bartering. And V-dolls, uh, which are verbal dollars. Uh, we just have to t- tell someone that you've paid them, say, ten verbal dollars, and they could then spend those verbal dollars somewhere else, uh, slightly over-reliant on trust, but then uh, not so far removed from, for example, the entire global economy and the concept of money. And we ask for you, which cryptocurrency presents the best pretend universe for you to hurl your actual money into? It's all witchcraft, people. This world is doomed. Also in the bin, uh, a look at a new podcast, uh, Uncommitted, the all-new false crime podcast about the crimes that could have, maybe even should have happened, but never did. Nobody was ever found. No one went missing. Things ostensibly and actually stayed the same as they were. But why? Uncommitted delves deep into the stories and people who were not affected by being the perpetrators or victims of these terrible things that did not take place. That show is already bigger than this show. (laughs) (laughs) Episode 1 looks at the superficially and actually happy marriage of Bertrand and Edna Scratch, the Milwaukee couple who never murdered each other, to reveal how a once idyllic relationship failed to deteriorate to the extent that murder was not only not the only option, but was never even close to being considered. They had the odd disagreement about sandwich fillings but other than that everything seemed to be fine on the surface and underneath the surface (laughs) or was it yes next week the priceless necklace that never moved from the jewelry box so do tune in for that that section in the bin top story this week and humanity versus coal the great war of our times is over the head of the american environmental protection agency um Uh, has declared that the war on coal is over. Scott Pruitt uh, said so in the coal mining states of Kentucky. And uh, at last, we can breathe more difficultly again (laughs) as the holy, God-given right to pollute the living (laughs) out of this planet has been preserved uh, by the Trump administration for future generations. As an American who likes to breathe... uh, the most unhealthy air possible. Mm. You must be delighted by this. Well, I, f- I find it amazing, uh, Andy. Scott Pruitt, he rejects the consensus of scientists that emissions from burning fossil fuels are the main cause of global warming, but he's consistent 
I want to sh- I want to say that he's consistent because he then claimed gravity was only a theory and had to be restrained by several colleagues after he attempted to prove it by throwing himself from a roof. <laughs> he's dedicated. Fair play to the lad. Um, it is kind of because he he is a notorious uh, climate skeptic, which mm. I mean in this day and age is basically like being an egg skeptic. Um, <laughs> I've never seen you, one. Well, you? exactly. Well, you claim something just drops out of a chicken in a shell and you can cook it and eat it. Pull the other one, loser. They all scoffed at Galileo, Andy. They did. Uh, great restaurant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, thank you much. Uh, he's, um, I mean, it is putting Scott Pruitt in charge of the environment, Harry, seems to me like putting the thrash metal group Anthrax in charge of a neighbourhood noise abatement scheme <laughs> or getting Hieronymus Bosch to illustrate a manual about how to run a jam stall at a church fair. It is not ideal and fraught with risk. <laughs> Do you think he's just uh, like people who are nostalgic for when cassettes were big yeah. and they claim that cassettes were better than not cassettes? Uh, he's just a format retronaut. He's just nostalgic for a, a different fuel. A format retronaut? Yeah. That's a lovely you know, phrase. It's like, no, sod vinyl, I'm going to go coal. That's, uh, <laughs> that's what all the, uh, the, the hip world destroyers uh, will be into. I like the cassette example because it's uh, just like coal... Not the best quality. Exactly. Not really. Like, it ends up getting thrown away in big bundles and it's, uh, there's no value to it. No. And uh, he's ignoring the fact that there's a lot more money in modern technologies such as renewable energy or MP3s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is kind of odd, isn't it? To, it was basically re- repealing the Clean Power Plan, which is a big plank of Obama's uh, legacy. Um, and uh, because I guess, you know, the last thing America wants is to be a global leader in unquestionably one of the biggest industries of the future. I mean, that is what people... <laughs> voted Trump to do was to avoid the maintaining any position at, as some kind of global figurehead. Yes. And also, um, I feel like I'm taking whatever you're saying and just ignoring it and then telling a joke. Oh, right. I'm, I'm used to that. That's, okay. That's, that's <laughs> largely how my life works. It's largely what you do. <laughs> Zing! Oh, that's been building up for 37 years, Helen. I mean, it's completely impractical because coal becomes less useful as the climate gets hotter because there's less of a need for creating heat artificially and because we'll all be dead. Well, I mean, it's good to have something to look forward to, isn't it? Um, (laughs) And it's so shiny and sparkly. (laughs) Essentially, this is America basically resigning from the 21st century. That is correct. As a nation, right. And even China has got behind renewables and given up on coal. Yeah, but that's largely because it was choking all of its people to death. Maybe that's the future America wants. Yeah. Maybe it wants everybody to have a cough like I've got. All right, so you're a... You are a, post, a, po- a poster girl for the Trump administration's I've got, environmental... I've got a little coal fire burning in my throat at all times. <laughs> keep, keep in mind, there is going to be growth in the emphysema industry. Nobody thinks about the emphysema well, industry. Well, exactly. There's a, there's a lot of things that will benefit from this. Yeah. You know, businesses that clean up after environmental disasters. Yeah. I mean, that is a growth industry. Yeah. Uh, uh, it'll save on, on pensions, because yeah. more and more Americans will be splashing themselves to death at an early age. That's correct. Um, it's nice. He's, he wants to create more jobs again in Kentucky. Jobs that are really unpleasant because you're underground in a coal mine most of the time and uh, usually lead to premature death. What do you mean, Helen? The coal industry, notoriously through its history, has treated its workers like precious jewels, overpaid them wildly and given them only the very best, most comfortable working conditions. I'll not have a word said against my <laughs> beloved coal industry. Besides, which would you rather die of, respiratory illness soon or full-blown dementia later on? <laughs> text us your views. <laughs> At what point does paleontology become coal mining? Um, oh, I don't know. I guess it's um, when you put it in a... In some kind of burner rather than a museum exhibit. Right. So everyone's pro-fossils but fussy about fossil fuels. Yeah, it's hypocrisy of the worst kind. I don't understand how the coal industry has been able to to like push their pro-coal agenda when we've been taught from a young age that coal is bad. Santa Claus 
gives naughty kids coal. Right there, we're programmed in thinking it's bad. Santa Claus isn't giving naughty kids solar panels. That's that's a good point. Mm. But he's only giving them one lump of coal, so it's not even enough to fuel anything. No. So really, he's giving them a symbol of coal. Yeah, it's we... like making them wistful because they haven't even got enough of a shit thing. Right. But it's it, but it's enough to be like this is the symbol of bad things. It is coal. There's nothing you can do with this coal. It is evil and wrong. Yeah. Do you remember when Nazism used to be considered a bad thing? And that's had a remarkable turnaround recently. <laughs> That's, that's, you know, with fashion, everything comes back around. Exactly, right? like yeah. like prairie skirts <laughs> and the swastika. What's a prairie skirt? It's just very flouncy, Andy. Right. Every three years they come back. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Just hang on to the one you've got. <laughs> Thank you, I will do. Um, I'm all about the prairie skirts. Um, when it comes to the Trump administration's attitude towards, towards climate change science, um, I mean, I guess there's, uh, you know, there's an element of wishful thinking involved. And I guess, as the old saying goes, if you believe in something strongly enough, you can make it happen. Um, do you know who said that? Marilyn Manson, in a 1997 <laughs> interview about the album Antichrist Superstar, which, coincidentally, uh, is Donald Trump's current Facebook status. <laughs> in other environmental news, uh, walruses are set to die... Due to we were all Donald, set to die, Andy. Due to, due to Donald Trump. I mean, I mean that's. I mean, I know we have been accused on the show of taking a, an anti-Trump agenda, um, but uh, according to this article, uh, w- um, the Trump administration has refused to list the Pacific walrus as endangered after deciding that the big, tusky, whisker-faced, lard-bellied, ice-bothering, fish-guzzling bastard may be able to adapt to the loss of sea ice that they currently depend on. Oh, you know, like. Um... Like dinosaurs adapted to being hit by asteroids. Yeah, they were very good at it, yeah. actually. And the, they, they, we've still got crocodiles, haven't we? Yeah. The African, the African black rhino adapted to being hunted to extinction. Yeah. They can do it if, if Kevin, they put their minds to it. If Kevin Costner can make it in Waterworld, Willie the Walrus can make it in reality. If a shockingly unqualified man can be President of the United States, walruses can put the work in and survive without their habitats. And look how well foxes have uh, evolved into living on the streets of London. Yeah. So you're basically saying that what we want is feral walruses in London, going it. from bin to bin. Yeah, eating chicken carcasses, right? Living it up. I mean, I think I'd prefer that to the fox, to be honest. <laughs> Have you ever had your bins rifle through by a walrus, Harry? That's a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> then yes, <laughs> it, it, it's. I mean, the background story about you know cause Trump is doing this because he you know takes revenge on all his enemies, and as we remember, in 1987. This was fa- famously happened in uh, in Florida at a SeaWorld. A walrus splashed Mr. Trump, right, destroying his hair. His hair looked great, actually, the best it's ever looked. But they said it had it destroyed his hair. Waited thirty years, finally found his revenge. God, there's so many little better vendettas, aren't mm. there? Best served cold, um, but not as cold as it would have been thirty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> what I don't understand is that the Obama administration actually could have put these walruses on the endangered species list, but they said that there were other animals that were a bigger priority. Right. So, is the endangered like species list? Is it limited? Is there only a limited number of people that can be added? A limited number of people. Limited number of animals that could be added at any particular time. We only have it in our power to give a shit about a limited number of animals at a time. Right. At a time. Also, Which... walruses eat seals and can kill polar bears. So maybe they prioritise those first because walruses <laughs> don't have the predator of other walruses. Right. Actually, they do because they can trample each other to death. So, yeah, really? it was a bad decision. How much research did you do into that? Did you make walruses trample each other in your room upstairs in my house? <laughs> Just I wanted to what see. That was. Um, 
They found I mean, it really difficult to get up the stairs. The thing is that when people criticise Trump for you know hip- hypocrisy or you know not really meaning what he says, but I think he is he would quite happily slay a walrus with a chainsaw in one of his weekly YouTube postings just to make a point. Not I mean what point? It doesn't really matter as long as a point is being made by him and there is a dead walrus on the floor at the end of it. <laughs> um, the Fish and Wildlife Service, which I know is your your favourite. A branch of American government. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, said that walruses are unlikely to be considered endangered in the foreseeable future, which apparently is defined as from now until the year 2060. Now, to me, that is a wildly optimistic end date for the foreseeable future, 43 years ago, because... 43 years ago? 43 years away, because... Well, in the time between me beginning to read this sentence and me reaching the bit where I say wasp-infested pumpkin for the second time, Donald Trump may well have stuck his diplomatic penis back into the wasp-infested pumpkin that is North Korea just to see what happens. Did that sentence actually end? It never <laughs> end. Oh, no, it did. It did end. Frankly, the foreseeable future these days stretches at best four weeks into the future, coincidentally, when I'll be finishing my US tour. <laughs> <laughs> Full dates at andysaltzman.co.uk. Um, in fact, I'm beginning to think that the foreseeable future might already have ended, and because of the way the news works... Uh, even the past isn't even retrospectively foreseeable anymore either. I mean, what what is truth? That's what this war this, this war story says to me. Are we even recording a podcast yeah. right now? Do you even need us here, Andy? Not really. You seem to have just like sunk into a strange soliloquy. <laughs> <laughs> motoring news now, and Helen, you are the Bugle's official motoring correspondent. Yeah, I yep. think I have a suitable objectivity because yep. I'm not right in there as a motorist. No, I mean motoring is not. I mean, with all due respect, and much as uh, I love you dearly, uh, it's not in your top thousand things I'm best at list. No, it? no. I've, uh, I've it, left that to the others. As the bollards of Tunbridge Wells would testify. I mean, as the car I was driving had been mightily trashed by you driving it into a church wall sometime before, <laughs> that was I didn't fine. really stand a chance. That was just vengeance was, for all the religious wrongs our people have suffered. It was, it was fine, except for the suspension and brakes. Uh, but that's nothing to do with this story about <laughs> Laverne Duran of Maryland, who was very angry one day because as he waited at a red light on alongside a school bus, he thought some of the kids on the bus had thrown a bottle at his car. So... He got out of his car, banged on the school bus door. The driver refused to let him on, thinking he would be a danger to these kids. And so he did the only thing any of us would do, Andy. He hung on to the front of the bus, <laughs> thumping the bonnet with his furious fist, whilst the bus driver slowly drove to the nearest police station. Uh, although he was arrested before they got there and now faces several charges for disorderly conduct and causing damage to the bus. But I'm sure he had a great time having a little thrill ride. Right. Well, how fast was the bus going? Uh... It looks not fast. Well, I mean, this 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 is a potential, very exciting breakthrough for road safety, isn't it? If all buses, lorries, and trucks are forced to have an angry shouting man attached to the front, <laughs> clamped, nailed, strapped, or otherwise, then all traffic would slow down. It looked like he wasn't having much trouble clinging on, so there's right. probably a foothold already there for people who want to try this. But also, it's a bit of a buffer, so you're not going to bumper scrape anybody because there's a man right. squidging the bumper in back. So what exactly was he shouting? Uh, he was, shouting, was it educational? Because it was a school bus. No, he was shouting, open the door, open the door. Right. And uh, the driver was uh, providing rebuttals for right. opening the door and the children behind were screaming. I guess, it is the, <laughs> I guess it is the first law of driving a school bus. Do not open the school bus door to someone who's clinging onto the front of your bus, I, shouting open the door. I think it does suggest that they've temporarily <laughs> gone beyond the point of rational discussion. What was the plan? Was it he was going to go into the school bus and yet who, which f***ing kid did this? Yeah, then he was going to kill all of them until one of them fessed up. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it is also not proven that any bottle was thrown. He may right. have hallucinated the bottle. Was that a bottle or a brick? Bottle. Oh, I heard it was a brick. 
Well, he claimed it was a bottle. Oh, right, a bottle. Stop embroidering the story. <laughs> my, my mistake. I must have. Uh, I must have misread it. Um, but I mean, I guess you know it, it would have been okay had he been shouting like an interesting question through the window, such as the bottle, which weighs one point two kilograms, <laughs> hit the door of my car, which was three meters to the side of and four meters backwards of level with the bus window, out of which the brick was thrown. If my car is moving five miles an hour quicker than the bus and both vehicles maintain lane discipline, with what force and at what angle of release trajectory must you throw another bottle, identical in size and shape to the previous bottle, if you want to hit my rear windscreen in exactly eighteen seconds time? That would have been that would have been fine for me. And this is why you shouldn't act in the heat of the moment. Yeah. You should prepare your maths questions. <laughs> And uh, because every moment is a teaching moment, right? Columbus Day in America. Yes, that's still a thing. Columbus Day in America is the day where we celebrate Christopher Columbus discovering America uh, and committing a genocide, which is strange because if there were people there, you didn't really discover it. Um, But we still teach children this because, uh, you know, we've kind of bought into the lie. Yeah. It's really hard to do anything. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about changing Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day, which has happened in Los Angeles and Austin, Texas, and uh, other places I can safely play. Um, (laughs) But at the same time, it's really kind of difficult because it's already kind of in the DNA district of Columbia, uh, Columbia University, uh, Columbia uh, Airspace and Sea Museum, which is a very strange museum that focuses both on airspace and the sea. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a good combination, isn't it? Well, at this point, you can just make up what Columbus did, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Well, because yeah. he didn't actually go to America, did he? He went, he went to various you know, some Caribbean He went to the islands. Caribbean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he went to the Caribbean, and uh, he thought they were Indian people, which also always bothered me, right. because basically what he did to the indigenous in the Caribbean is what he wanted to do to my ancestors. <laughs> like, that was his goal. They like, just no, turned the boat the wrong way. Yeah, pretty much. Or he didn't know there was land there, so it's like, no, you meant to go to India Street, not India Avenue. <laughs> It's North First, not Northwest First. <laughs> and so he did all these terrible things, assuming it was us. Donald Trump's proclamation for Columbus Day uh, said this, The permanent arrival of Europeans to the Americas was a transformative event that undeniably and fundamentally changed the course of human history and set the stage for the, the development of our great nation. Now, if we were to give you all the historical footnotes that need to come with those 33 words, this podcast would be about 16 years long. That, that, that is, at best... Edited highlights. Well, it certainly did change the course for Indigenous Americans. Right. And uh, I'd imagine if they do get this as their day, it's going to be a day of sorrow, right? Right, right. It's not super celebratory. No. Um, the day of f***ing. Uh, <laughs> the, um, the day of f***ing. Also, um, Trump noted Columbus as an, an Italian-American, but he, he moved at a young age to Portugal and then worked for the Spanish monarchy. So, so yeah. essentially, he he was an immigrant, Um who had Donald Trump been king of Portugal in the late 15th century would have bumped into the nearest available wall and been sent back where he came from. So Yeah, but he was a white immigrant, Andy, so oh, my mistake. keep up. He also, Columbus, this was interesting, in 1502 he wrote something called the Book of Privileges <laughs> uh, about how much money and possessions he thinks he was owed by the Spanish um, monarchy. How much is it? Well, I don't know, but I mean, you can see why he's... Yeah, maybe a man after Donald Trump's heart, just banging on about money. Bit entitled. All the time. Uh, also renowned for mismanagement and brutality and despotic rule. I mean, they are peas in a 525-year-long pod. Uh, also, he went had a brief visit to the Caribbean islands before f***ing right off. I mean, the, the, the similarities just go on <laughs> and on and on. When Columbus went to hell, do you think he thought it was heaven? Um, mm. That's a very interesting philosophical question. Mm. Um, Do you think uh, if Columbus had been alive a few centuries later, he would have had his own chain of uh, tower block hotels? 
I think oh. that's likely. He was eventually arrested and imprisoned for his gross misgovernance. So let's <laughs> those parallels. Let that be a warning. The fact he thought it was India was also strange because it didn't have any of the clues that perhaps Marco Polo and others have written about. Like, there was no spice, there were no elephants. Really, there was nothing that would appear like India, but he was so stubborn. He's like, well, it must be. Close right. enough. Close enough. The people playing cricket. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Celebrity news now, and uh, Helen, you, you're our celebrity correspondent. Right. Um, um, some absolutely sensational news. Uh, Mary Berry, the uh, de facto deputy queen of England, um, <laughs> former host of the Great British Bake Off. Judge, Andy. Judge, judge. judge not yeah, host. get ranking correct. It. Sorry. Um, uh, she uh, has announced some shocking news. She has. Uh, she has decided that dining rooms are over. Or at least she stopped using her dining room. She realised that she and her husband were only using the dining room at Christmas. So now she's moving house, getting rid of the dining room, going to have a bigger kitchen. Apparently her husband doesn't approve, but she's going ahead nonetheless because that is feminism. This is a 21st century relationship. Right. And kitchen dining situation. Yeah. So Um, dining rooms are f***ed. Like if Berry's not behind them, 82-year-old Mary Berry... Uh, who I'd imagine has thrown many semi-formal dinner parties in her time. But Andy, you have a dining room. Yeah. I think you should just take the plunge and turn it into a home casino or something. Right. I'd want to turn it into a shrine to Mary Berry. That's a good use of the space. Uh, Do you have the Bake Off in America? I've never heard of this programme. The Great British Baking Show, it's called there. Mm. Oh, right. Uh, I have American friends who are very into it. I've never heard of this programme. Right, I mean, it's basically, uh, if you can imagine this... It's uh, like Project Runway for cakes. Yeah. It's... uh, (laughs) It's a program where people bake cakes. I mean, that's that's pretty much it, isn't it? Do they get taken down a runway? Um, not always. No runway. It's, it's all in a big tent. Huh. It's uh, it's the most popular TV show in the history of the universe in Britain. It's essentially our national refuge now, isn't it? From... I think because it's tantalising. You, you can look at all these cakes, but you can't touch or eat them. I thought your national refuge was drinking. Well, it's drinking, uh, sports, and the Great British Bake Off. It's essentially the 21st century Anderson shelter, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Uh, breaking news coming in from the United Nations. Uh, apparently, all necessary recipes have now been cooked. Um, the UN Special Meals and Nibbles Envoy, Prunetia de la Suave, announced there are more than plenty recipes for everyone now. If you collected all the published and unpublished recipes in the world, and all the ones on the telly, even the ones where they just tell you how to peel a carrot or crack a f***ing egg, not to mention all the f***ing cakes and shit, and cooked three three-course meals a day, plus an afternoon snack for 100 years, you would still have 8 billion recipes left over. So let's just draw a f***ing line under it and try to work out how to stop polar bears sinking and shit like that. So, uh, this could revolutionise television. No more new recipes. Shark burker news now. Helen, yes, you are our... Um, Shark Oppression of women expert. Uh, and our shark costume expert. Yeah, uh, for sure. Well, Andy, uh, at the start of October, Austria became the fifth European country to institute a law uh, informally known as the Burka ban. Um, it, the Anti-Face-Veiling Act means that people's faces must be visible from hairline to chin, so presumably false moustaches and beards are out. Well, uh, hang on. From hairline to chin? Yeah. So, As a member of the balding community... Yep, no, Does that's that not for you. prejudiced against me? Yeah, sorry. Right. But really it's prejudiced against the 150 or so women in Austria out of the total 700,000 Muslims in the country who wear face coverage. Right. Um, so uh, this is an attempt, they say, um, to make society more integrated 
without these facial barriers. Um, but people didn't really complain when it was uh, screen masks or whatever. It is very specifically timed with the influx of uh, Muslim immigrants. But two men have fallen foul of this law in the past few days. Firstly, a millionaire activist who has pledged a, a million dollar fund in order to pay the burger ban bills of women in Europe who've uh, been done by it. He was wearing a photo of Austria's foreign minister across the bottom half of his face and a suit covered in 100 euro bills. And uh, he's had to pay uh, a fine for it. So you can't wear someone's face over your own face. And then a man hired... Sorry, did you say 100 euro bills or 100 year old bills? 100 euro bills. Not uh, not the shriveled bills of long dead pelicans. (laughs) Well, the article didn't state, but they might have been there just incidentally. And then uh, another man who was hired to be a promotional mascot for an electronics shop in Vienna called Muck Shark was (laughs) (laughs) was dressed as a shark. And a member of the public shopped him to the police. And uh, two police officers approached him, asked him to remove the shark's head because of the anti-face failing act. And he said, I'm just doing my job and refused to take it off. Right. Now he's got a fine. Right. But police have been asked to relax the law for Halloween because of the costumes. But they they can make a lot of money. I like how Halloween is valued more than the religion of Islam. (laughs) That has more importance to the people of Austria than a, a religion that is thousands of years old. Um, it's, uh, it's a sacred sacred festival. Um, I but, mean, also, the shark. Mm. I mean, Austria presumably is not that scared of sharks as a nation, being well, as it is notoriously sharks. mountainous and landlocked. What if they come in on the train? Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. What if it's really cold? You can't cover your face? No, cyclists have been stopped for wearing scarves over their faces. The thing is, the law was written in a way to seem like it wasn't a religiously intolerant law, and that means right. people are very confused as to how to interpret it. So they're interpreting it to mean anything on your face. Right. How many beekeepers have died? <laughs> they're outlawed now. <laughs> One other piece of celebrity news. David Cameron, God rest his soul, um, if it is ever found, has taken a job with an American electronic payments firm. Does he not already have a full-time job? What, of writing his memoirs and enjoying the trash fire that he lit in this country? His full-time job presumably involves going round the United Kingdom house by house saying sorry and writing a preemptive apology note to people who haven't yet been born. Harry, um, have you ever employed a former Prime Minister? Briefly, as right. a joke writer, right. um, it, it was John Major. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, I was about ten at the time, right. and... Uh, did you come know. up with the goods? No, I, no, it was a terrible idea, right, and yeah. I don't know why he responded to my letters. And uh, He was just pleased to be asked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Politicians do anything. This is the strangest uh, job that a world leader, a former world leader, has taken on since uh, Nelson Mandela opened up a sandwich shop called a Mendeli. <laughs> uh, the signature sandwich, the full Nelson, uh, was turkey, Swiss cheese, lettuce, tomato, sweet peppers, and the secret Robin Island dressing. All right. <laughs> Um, it was tears, Andy. That was what was in the dress. Just, just one, one piece of advice for, for David Cameron. Um, next time you buy a magic lamp in an antique shop and a genie pops out and offers you three wishes, maybe drop the, can I put my flodule in a de- dead pig's mouth in favour of, <laughs> please can you let me win my next referendum. That's all I ask. Just to quickly wrap up, wrap up sport now, and uh, the USA has been knocked out of the World Cup, Harry, whilst you've been here. Oh, Last my God. Night, Oh my God! We the just... USA men's football team failed to qualify for they've qualified for the last seven World Cups in a row, oh, but no. they lost out to the mighty Panama and Honduras. Not European football. Uh, well, no, it's uh, just football. Oh, we call it European no, football. No, it's football. I think you'll find it's just called football. 
We call it European football. When you are very wrong. Uh, I mean, America must be absolutely devastated not to have made it to the World Cup. Yeah, so devastated that I didn't even know we were playing right now. Yeah, right. because often grief makes you forget things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I blocked it out immediately. Well, just just check the headlines on the, uh, the US uh, newspapers. Do we still have Pele? Pele? Yeah. What, what's that? He was a soccer player. Oh, Pele. Right. I thought it was some kind of uh, contactless card payments. That's a, that, he's a, he's a, uh, he played uh, European football. Right. I mean, this, this is a huge story in American sport. A new logo for USA. <laughs> it's been very exciting. Well, the biggest question that has been discussed regarding European football is when will Ka- Colin Kaepernick be signed by a European football team? Right. That has yet to be resolved. Well, taking the knee, that's, I mean, that's... And people don't just take the knee in European football, they just throw themselves to the ground <laughs> roll around pretending to be injured. That's the ultimate form of protest against racial injustice in America. Uh, just a quick update on World Cup injuries with the tournament now just, what, nine months away. Uh, Brazilian stars Waduino, Melton da Silva, Mayonnaise and Squelchi all struggling to be fit for Russia 2018 after an over-elaborate goal celebration for their club Grimeo resulted in the crashing of bobsled into a canal. Uh, Italy's Arnaldo Grozzibelli uh, could be out after a grade 3.6 preening injury suffered whilst trying to do his hair in a wing mirror of an articulated lorry whilst riding a Vespa. And Costa Rica's Darvarius Quacklidge is in a race against time to shake off his quartercery quadriceps strain. That, of course, he picked up, punching the air after winning his first ever game of solitaire on his granny's computer. All World Cup news on The Bugle, the official podcast of the FIFA World Cup. <laughs> Uh, so that brings us to the end of this week's this week's bugle. Uh, sorry about the forty-five minute delay at the start, um, Hori. It's been a delight having you in the same continent. Yeah, uh, it has been really nice, uh, Hori. I'll, I'll see you in November in uh, in America. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, last time I was on, we started Bugle 2.0. Yeah. Are we ending Bugle 2.0? I hope not, <laughs> because I have children. And they need food. And you want a legacy for them. <laughs> like that's what I'm all about, Helen. Yeah, legacy. and all the Victorian shit you bought off eBay yeah. isn't enough. It's not, no. What Victorian shit did you buy off eBay? That is a whole different show. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Helen, thanks for joining us. Cheers. You're uh, FROing around the world quite soon, aren't you? Yeah, why yeah. not? Yeah. Why not, eh? I'll, I'll bump into you at some point on some continent yeah. or other. Your daughter's already been measuring up the attic for her occupancy. I can't wait to have our attic back. I could move into your dining room that you're not even using. Harry, <laughs> uh, have you got any dates to plug? Yes, I do have some dates to plug, Andy. Yep. I will be at the St. Louis Helium on October 19th in the Chicago at the Hideout on the 29th of October. The Wilbur on November 3rd. And then uh, you have Oakland, Fox Theater, December 1st, 12-13 at the Aladdin Theater, which you will also be playing in Portland. And then uh, a very special... Uh, show on the 15th of December in Seattle, Washington at the Neptune. I hear it's a very special show. It's going to be a special one. Very special. Right. Well, that was nice and cryptic. What's he saying? But it sounds like it's going to be pretty special. Uh, Don't forget you can listen to Helen on The Illusionist. Until next time, Buglers, goodbye. Thanks as ever to the Knight Foundation. Easily the Bugle Podcast's favourite foundation. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.